Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Very excited to have on the program. Nicholas Holland. And why am I excited to have Nicholas on the program? Because Nicholas is a new acquaintance of mine. And how did that begin? If you don't know Nicholas, I'm not surprised because I know a lot of the people who tune in to the program are out there using Marketo or out there using Eloqua and other marketing technology. But Nicholas is the general manager and vice president of the marketing hub at HubSpot. And the way that we met was when I went out to Inbound in 2018. And the reason that I went to Inbound in 2018 is because HubSpot started announcing their enterprise version of HubSpot. And that piqued my interest. As someone who's always following marketing technology and what's happening in this space, I think we've all always known HubSpot to be a platform for SMB customers and certainly has more customers You'll, you'll have to tell us exactly how many, but well over 40,000 using the platform. And what I took away from Inbound was their messaging to businesses about the relationship and synergies that need to take place between sales and marketing and service, and even product for that matter. And it is that messaging which was the genesis for inviting Nicholas onto the program because I think their lens and their view of how important the infrastructure and processes across these organizations is really spot on. So Nicholas, thank you for all the conversations we've had over the past several months. Thank you for all the collaboration that our teams have had ramping up on the platform. And it's it's been great to see the, the partnership develop. And thank you for joining me on the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Nick and I were just talking about video gaming uh, before that, and and we were definitely pumped up about that because we realized that we both like video gaming and have a history there. Let's jump right in with the flywheel, and I I think that's new for a lot of folks. Uh, It is your framework, and you guys actually even celebrated the death of the funnel uh, on stage, and and Brian threw a party for it. So where did that come from, Nicholas, and, and why the messaging around the the flywheel and the synergies across these these departments. Yeah, the roots of HubSpot really were in this concept of inbound, and it was a moment in time on the internet where lots of companies were starting to leverage the internet to a competitive advantage. Uh, started to get to a point where even small companies were able to compete effectively with large companies and. And that's where Brian and Darmesh, they met in business school, and Darmesh had the concept of inbound. It wasn't called that then, but the concept that what if you were just helpful to people, and through doing that and answering questions, of course, that naturally brought you leads. And that was the genesis of HubSpot, and the software began to grow around that concept. And ultimately, HubSpot's first you know, six, seven years of existence was all about building marketing automation software. And over that time, Darmesh had really pushed this concept of uh, attract new users, and it would always be about closing those, uh, and then it, of course, would be about delighting those. It was kind of this 
these stages and everything we talked about was follow would kind of fall in those lenses, but it would all be done still under the lens of marketing. Well, as time bore on, people wanted to track more and more things around kind of their customer. And so HubSpot built a CRM in the early days. It was quite uh, basic, but essentially it was like an evolved version. If you think of like a MailChimp today, how you have like a list inside of there and you kind of see from time to time what people have clicked on. By and large, a lot of our early small business customers, just like they think MailChimp is their CRM today, they kind of thought HubSpot was their CRM. We said, why don't we go ahead and formalize this? So, so now we're in the CRM business. But remember, we still had this attract, close, delight mindset. And when we got into the CRM business, naturally more sales people started to come on. And so we started to build sales software on top of the CRM. And so we still said to the market, hey, it's attract, it's close, it's delight. That's really how you should be really focusing on that. The delight part being the anchor of the inbound funnel. Yeah. And so the sales software got out there. And so then we spent a long time talking about marketing. So some of our HubSpot early fans like heard us talk about marketing. It was kind of a cheeky, clever way of talking about the relationship between sales and marketing. Of course, this is on our free CRM that was still quite basic. And then something interesting happened about two years ago where we decided we were going to get really serious about our CRM. We were going to get to a point where we had hit an inflection point. Uh, we started having tons of, we had more free users than we had paid users. And we started thinking, well, if people are going to grow on us, what does the world look like where they don't leave us? They don't outgrow us. They don't use us and then move on to Salesforce. They don't use us and grow on to a Marketo or an Eloqua. What would that look like? So a few things had to happen. First, we had to get our CRM really serious. And so we got on the fast track to adopt it ourselves. So, you know, we're a 2000 plus person company, 15 million plus contacts and a huge sales team huge marketing team. And so that's what we started working on. So happy to announce like by the end of last year, uh, end of 2018, we did that. The last part though, was that we also needed to finish out the delight side because we talked about the attract, the, the, the uh, close, the delight. And so we decided to build out the service side of our business. It's kind of like a help desk, ticketing, et cetera. And then you blink twice and now you have everything you need to run the front office of a growing company. You have it on a world-class CRM. And we started to look at the funnel where of course the track was at the top and at the bottom was the light. And we kept having the CRM just sit off to the side. And really we were like, what is going on here? Like the CRM is really the center of it. It's kind of that, it's the, the view of your customer. And then you heard Halligan uh, talk at Inbound last year. He tells a really interesting story about how now the customer has more power than ever. They're at the center of what every business should be thinking about. It's all about customer experience. And so we had kind of just a sit down powwow session and someone drew the CRM in the middle and erased CRM and put customer. And then we took the attract, the close and the delight and we circled around it because someone brought it for the first time. They said, really, marketing should be passing things off to sales sales when they sell it should be thinking about how do we deliver on our promise and delight these customers and everybody knows that keeping a customer is more effective than always or, or, or more uh, 
efficient and always going to get new customers. So imagine if the service side fed back into marketing and the rest is history. We named it, I forgot what we first called it, but the word flywheel came up and we liked that because by definition, the flywheel is something where as you apply force to it, it spins faster and faster and it essentially keeps spinning. It takes a lot of inertia to slow it. I mean, uh, a lot of friction to slow it back down. And so that was the last piece, which is how do you remove friction from today's buying experience where the customer is at the center and you basically go through the motions of attract, close, delight, which is then powered by legitimate software, marketing, sales, and service hub. That was a long-winded answer, but that's how we got there. No, I, I loved it. It was amazing during his keynote. I mean, he was able to talk about the flywheel for probably about 45 minutes and really breaking down as you did. He did a longer version, but he had the prop, right? So on the stage was, it looked like a gigantic wheel of fortune wheel. It had all the little pegs uh, and it, I don't, actually don't know if it had the peg. It had, it had a peg uh, and he, as you said, had you know CRM in the middle and then the pieces of it that he described across sales and marketing and service, and as you said, getting all the way to from attracting to delighting your customers, he talked you know, methodically about not just the synergies, but what you said, that last word, friction. And when I did my keynote, few keynotes that I've done, I really stressed to the audience that you know, if you need a North Star on how to have an incredible customer experience, if you really want to just make your customer experience the best it can be, then just have one word in your office on the wall, which is friction, hashtag friction, and get rid of it everywhere that you can in your organization, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's services. And we had our company all hands recently, uh, Nicholas, and I talked with my own organization about them surfacing where there might be friction in our own business. And friction not like you know emotional tension and infighting, friction as you know, are you enabling your clients to engage with you whenever, wherever? And I believe on a recent podcast I mentioned, Nicholas, that, you know, with Comcast, when I needed to upgrade my service and I contacted them, their phone was, and by the way, if you don't want to wait on hold and want to have an SMS text message with one of our support people, let us know by pushing one. And I did just to try it out. And sure enough, I had a thread going with one of their reps and was able to address it. Uh, another experience was them doing it in Facebook Messenger, which you are a big fan of, of Messenger we can talk about. So they are looking at how does today's consumer want to interact and communicate with them when and where, and how do we as a company uh, embrace that? And you guys had some really great customers on stage at Inbound uh, you know, talking about how they've been removing friction from their organization and using HubSpot across across the org. So I was I, it inspired me. It was Brian's a phenomenal, uh, he's phenomenal on stage, and and it was great. I, I attended your session later where you talked about the marketing hub, where you guys are, and where you're going. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about the enterprise space, and I wanted to to dig into that, you know, because I know that's a journey for you guys. You always stress to me that you know you're on a path to delivering the capabilities. And as you just shared, you guys made a pivot yourselves from running your company on Salesforce to running it on your own CRM. So for folks listening, where is HubSpot today on that journey? You guys have certainly done a phenomenal job in the SMB market and you you have set your sights and going in, you know, going up. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, Halligan came to me about a year and a half ago and he said, can you, fix enterprise for us. 
And I said, I can, but what's wrong with it? He said, I don't know. You tell me. And I said, I don't know. I don't ever pay attention to it. (laughs) And I remember chuckling about that conversation because it's true at that time, Enterprise was really for HubSpot, a place where we had a handful of niche features, but really it was about, you know, our largest customers that were outgrowing us. They typically needed a way to get a price break on some special unique things they needed, but it didn't really have a cohesive strategy to it. And by and large, that's because most of HubSpot's history focused on these companies that were really in the, you know, 50 to 200 employee range. And that's where we were. So as we began to look at our customer base, we noticed that many of our professional customers were outgrowing us. We noticed that many of our free users uh, would come in and ironically, they would be more sophisticated or larger customers. And that's actually something that I think is interesting that we learned is that enterprise doesn't always mean large. Enterprise for us means sophisticated because you have some startups that are extremely sophisticated. You have some companies that are very large that are more than fine dealing with a professional version. So so as we started to look at enterprise, what we came away with was that uh, the users of platforms today are starting to demand more um, whenever they get to a certain level of sophistication. And those things come around security. Some organizations have an enhanced need for security, and that's everything from how do you structure teams and the permissioning and things like that to people are terrified about how their data is being used and what people have access to it. So they care about things like SSO and, um, you know, more, more stringent security protocols. And that's an area where we looked at it and it was a pretty natural evolution for us because we needed some of those things as well. So it was a very natural path for us to start to work towards that. And those are things that we really released at this last inbound. We also started to look at like we were using the software ourselves. We have about 2000 employees. And so now we say that, you know, very authentically, that's about the size of an enterprise customer that we handle 2000 employees below really, really around 1000. So enterprise, when you really start to look at the world, man, there are some massive companies. My wife works at a company that has 400,000 employees. It's a big healthcare company. And so that is not for HubSpot. That's, for your sales forces, et cetera. We, when we say enterprise, I would say if you find yourself in that kind of 2000 employee or below range, that's more what we're talking about. Um, and so as far as the, the overall part of the software, you know, we did the security side, we started getting into more of the uh, higher limits. You know, one of the things that's always fascinating is that people want to do a lot of API calls. Um, larger organizations, more sophisticated organizations have extra developer resources. So we got super serious. You know, our softwares are already uh, a really pleasant experience to use compared to many. So we started really getting serious about the platform and exposing way more APIs, adding a lot more programmable type items to our software so you can build customizations out, et cetera. So that really worked out well. Uh, And then also we moved into, you know, there's more powerful features that people want, whether it's like, you know, larger organizations, uh, larger meaning they have a much larger customer base. They send out a ton of email. And what you get is multiple departments start sending out email. If you think about the customer being at the center of that, 
start to get into situations where people, of course, are now emailing that customer two, three, four, five times a week. And so we started building kind of things for more sophisticated customers where they wanted to do things like email throttling so that a customer doesn't get bombarded by emails from multiple departments, as an example. So those are just a handful of things. And we still have, you know, many more things that we want to do for those customers. Um, but so far, it's going quite well. And we are finding, especially as we've added in a professional level of our sales hub and a professional level of our service hub, we're starting to find that these customers with these more sophisticated needs uh, are not only joining us, but the NPS is, is actually doing quite well for that tier. It's, it's impressive to see, and I'm, I'm glad you're so clear on the positioning, you know, where you guys are really focusing and where your target market is. The, yeah, I was, uh, I think I've mentioned on other podcasts, Heller Jewelers, and I, I introduced them to your team so they could get a demonstration, take a look at the platform, because they're a small business, successful business over in the East Bay in uh, San Ramon, and they're doing a lot on social media and doing wanting to do more in email marketing, and they have customers that order things and need to let them know when it's available for pickup and that type of stuff. And it just made so much sense for them to look at a platform like yours rather than just a batch and blast uh, email tool. And they, they don't have a CRM. They don't have a way to manage their customers. And so we had some lunch together, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could track when purchases typically take place? And you know that around Valentine's Day, that customer A normally comes to you uh, a certain time before and places an order. What if you could send out a triggered email around that time of the year, inviting them back to the store in a promotion? What if uh, when the product was available for pickup, they received a text message and an email? Uh, you know, any of those things. And like, that would be wonderful. That would be great. And they were so excited about the rest of the conversation that I said, okay, well, at least get a demonstration and see if if you're ready. And it was it was easy for me to explain to them how their sales team and their service team and their marketing could be throughout that platform. What, when you, when you have thought about, you know, when Brian says, you know, I don't think about the enterprise and you're like, what about it? Why not just if, if, if you're picturing a pyramid and the very top of these over 2000 employee companies, why not just continue to keep crushing it in the bottom of the pyramid? Maybe that's, maybe that's the focus where there are massive numbers of companies that haven't embraced digital transformation, you know, companies like Hello Jewelers that aren't there yet, because what I have seen you know, Nicholas, you've experienced this. So, you know, for those that don't know Nicholas, he's been on the servicing side, pro services agency side, uh, like like ourselves. Um, they're very different markets. And if you try to be all things to all people, as you know, and keep adding the capabilities for scale and functionality, then your product does get more complex. It does get too sophisticated for the Heller jewelers of the world. So how do you balance that wanting to address the needs of going up market, but at the same time, keeping the product capabilities and approachability really designed for what your core was and is. Yeah, it's hard. The, the, the thing I've talked about this year, and I think we're actually, we've got a blog post coming out about it uh, pretty soon, but like I joked a few months ago that I think HubSpot is trying to pull off the greatest magic trick in SaaS history. You know, you look at the prolifer. So first off, if you go back to kind of the pioneers of SaaS, you have Salesforce, and and that's an amazing platform. You can literally do anything that you want on it at this point. And when you're thinking about an enterprise that is much larger, and I'm not even just talking about sophistication, I'm just talking about sheer size, apartments, and, you know, um, tons of employees. 
people want the platform to bend its will to their business. And, and Salesforce has done a good job. But one of the costs that we hear of people using Salesforce is that it's quite hard to use. Uh, it's lost that kind of modern feel. It hasn't been able to keep up. Even you know, a small portion has been able to, has adopted their Lightning interface because um, most people are still on traditional Salesforce. And because of that, you you have a scenario where you need help by and large whenever you want to implement a Salesforce. So I would kind of say them as the pioneers of SaaS. They have done an amazing job of really doing what you said, moving up market and being what those companies need to be. That's what every time you hear a Salesforce press release, it's bragging about some giant company that has a hundred million transactions an hour going through it. And that's awesome. But that's just not the majority of the businesses in America. And what that is, is not where we're going. So we focus on the mid market and I'll pause there and say, if you go down to just the S side of the SMB space, you have now in the SaaS evolution, just this proliferation of SaaS solutions. I mean, literally whatever you've got a problem for, there is some entrepreneurial spirit out there who has probably built a SaaS platform or a SaaS uh, product for you to use. Blissfully is a cool service you should check out where they, they kind of keep track of what SaaS products companies use. And they, uh, I think they had one recently that said like the small business has an average of like 21 SaaS applications that they use now, 21. And the the larger companies, mid-market and higher, are in the hundreds. And I would bet even, David, for your firm right now, if you were to go ask everybody, both free and paid, every SaaS platform that they've used in the last year, I bet you would easily crush 21 at your company. You would go way past that. And 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 so what that means is that now uh, people expect very modern interfaces. They want you know uh, things to be light, easy. They want it to be something where they can do it themselves. They don't want to have to hire a consultant to help them use it. That's what they expect, and that goes back to your Comcast example. People want to be able to do it themselves in their underwear at 11 o'clock at night because that's what technology has opened up. We can work anywhere we want to, anytime that we want to. So how do we basically honor that need that we personally feel day in and day out? And at the same time, how do we provide a business grade service? And that's the magic trick I talk about. How can we be as easy to use and delightful to use as all of the consumer-based SaaS apps, but also powerful and flexible? And so back to your point, is an enormous challenge and one that we have tons of hand-wringing and teeth gnashing and deep late night existential debates over, but it is front and center in our brain. And I think that many of our customers that come to us, they talk about, they see it, they see it. Uh, and they, they appreciate the fact that that is, that it is very approachable. They can use it. Mere mortals do have an excellent shot at growing and using the platform without spending an enormous amount on services. But at the same time, that's what we're doing on the enterprise side is making it so that the system does grow with them. And, and I think, I think we can pull it off uh, to a point where the mid market is quite pleased. I don't think that we'll be able to, to walk this tightrope when we move up market to the enterprise. Cause I think you just get to a point of customization, et cetera, where it can no longer be light and enjoyable. And I think that uh, the companies that are 
at the lower end of the market uh, will continue to to really excel at just solving a single point solution, but I think that they'll struggle to really match the business functionality that we're doing right now. And so it puts us in a pretty unique space, assuming we can keep pulling it off. Yeah. You got to pick your markets and know who you're, you're building for. I mean, you know, Adobe, who's a phenomenal partner of ours, you know, has, you know, what they don't have is a CRM, as you know, but they have a stack and a set of tools, you know, creative tools that every marketer on the planet has used to create something. And their acquisition of Marketo right. told the market, we really care about B2B marketing and marketing automation in that space. There's their CMS, you know, you give yours away for free and have paid versions. Their CMS, Adobe Experience Manager, yeah. starts at a quarter million dollars and goes up, right? Very different markets that they're serving. And yet all of us, I, I know you and I feel the same way, like every company on the planet today needs to have a digital presence, needs to have a phenomenal digital experience with their customers, needs to have a, an organization that is fluid between sales, marketing, product, and service. No walls, no silos. That's what it's going to take to uh, su succeed today. And since there are, as you said, companies of every different size, it's great to see all of you taking a look at the target markets and, and really crushing it and building a platform for the market that you best uh, serve. But there's always that temptation, right? Like, well, this big, large company is interested in us, and if we just had this capability, then, you know, and then you become, you become oh, something else. Oh, God, every day it happens. I, I probably get, I, I get invited on to an enterprise call maybe once a week, if not maybe twice a week, where I get on there and they want to know our roadmap, which we don't really tell people because it typically sets you up to disappoint them because things change all the time. But then the second part of almost every conversation is they all have a pet feature that they want. You know, hey, we really need this. And I think we've done a pretty good job of saying you could accomplish that goal this way, but if you need that particular thing done, you'll have to go somewhere else. And we're pretty, we're pretty straight up. We want to make sure at the end of the day, you know, what we, what I get judged by actually, and this is, uh, this is true for our whole leadership team this year. We actually get judged by the performance of our net promoter score. And so you remember the old, you know, the old, uh, cliche that what, what gets measured gets managed, you know? So the point is that now, we report on that and you know the net promoter score doesn't capture all things but at least it is a trendable like you can watch the trend of how happy people are and we really focus on are people going to be successful on our platform and so for me to close a deal pales in comparison in terms of a, a reward standpoint then it's basically you're happy on the platform so if i close close a, a client and they become unhappy that's bad quite bad for us so anyways, that's a long-winded way of saying that, like, I think that we will be stretched and will continue to be stretched. But by and large, I think the mid-markets where we're at, and I'll, t I'll tell you an interesting story for the listeners that are on the phone. It's, it's, uh, we have a rare moment in time where that CMS part can really draw battle lines for the hearts and minds of certain customers. Give an example. WordPress really democratized the web design space. It kind of, for the first time, gave everybody a little bit of standardization, the ability that any individual company had at least a fighting chance to go get a, a decent service provider, to have a, a platform that they could begin to build on and, and expect that it was going to be supported and maintained. Uh, I laughed when we were talking before this podcast about 
you being on the 9600 baud modem like man the early days of web design were just bananas with all the different hosting companies and stuff god it was crazy anyways but now think about it the website market is one of the last remaining areas that i can think of where there's not a clear dominant winner on the SaaS CMS side, on the SaaS side. Wix and Squarespace have emerged over the last you know, five to 10 years as amazing solutions for small companies to get started. I mean, and you look at Wix, uh, they have uh, millions of users using them. And if you've used it, it's a delight to use. But what you see is that many businesses don't go to Wix because they need something that either has a higher degree of design control or it needs more customizations in terms of functionality, et cetera. And so there's a giant gap in that space. Where is the SaaS platform after Wix? And that is an area that we are wanting to service because people want more security. They want more scalability. They want someone to do uptime and they also want to be able to customize it and, and build it out so that it ties to their CRM, et cetera. And then you move up to the enterprise side and that's Adobe. And we take a lot of inspiration. Adobe's CMS is quite amazing and it powers some incredibly powerful and complex sites. But to your point, there's, there's no normal business that could afford that. And that is an example of like how HubSpot kind of sees the market. And I guess as you're, listeners are out here trying to take something away is you're either going to be in this kind of Franken system world where you're piecemealing together a ton of individual solutions or over time, these platform wars are going to start to pull you in. You're either going to be a, a HubSpot person, a Salesforce person. Uh, Adobe is trying to get their platform strategy together. Like you're going to start to fill these pools stronger and stronger over time. And I think that, uh, It'll be interesting when you blink and say five years from now, who is that mid-market operating right. system? I think that's what we're trying to get to. Well, it's, it's why I wanted to have you guys on because we, like you, you're, you're I'm going to try to say, I'm not going to bastardize the word, I hope, unapologetic. There we go. You are unapologetic, as you were saying, when you don't have capabilities that maybe an enterprise company is looking for. You're like, that's not us. It's not, it's not where we are. Not even going to make a promise to be there. You're unapologetic about it. We are too, you know, because of, you know, the content that we produce, whether it's the podcast or resources or just, you know, our, our network, people always reach out to me and say, hey, Dave, what does your company do? I've been listening to this or caught that. And I'll say, um, this is what we do, but I have to explain to them, like, you're not our customer. Like, your your size business is not right for our company. And there was, there's been a number of referrals that we've sent your way with some newer startups that are perfect for the HubSpot platform, you know, across the platform. And yet we won't engage with them because they're they're not the right um, type of company for us in terms of, of the business. Like my friend Scott, I'll go to lunch with him every day of the week and advise, uh, advise him on, you know, how to do inbound marketing and outbound marketing. But, you know, the Heller Jewelers is not going to hire demand gen, uh, you know, we're, we're for their digital transformation initiatives. Uh, you have a community. I want to ask Nicholas, like, Two things. One, love for you to touch on inbound the word and what it means to HubSpot. But before we get there, when I went to inbound, the name of your conference, you know, for a company who cares so much about digital experiences, inbound felt very cultish or whatever a more friendly word is. It was people, the partner ecosystem and all the attendees, 
the level of energy and passion for everyone coming together is something I've not seen in a long time, and uh, it was unique. What what created that? How did that come about? Why do you think it, it is? I mean, maybe it's small business owners coming together. I don't know. I'd love to get your perspective because it's the first and only time I've been there until this year, and I was like, wow, these people, it's amazing, the passion that they all share and the conversations that they're all having with one another. Very different from an enterprise uh, event, for sure, in my experience. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the startup companies now try to ascribe their mission to some larger world betterment goal. I think that's kind of uh, how you speak the language to millennials and below is, is uh, what I've heard people write about. I go back to when Dharmesh and Halligan were doing this. This is kind of well before the millennial uh, you know, articles were being written on blogs, et cetera, about how to motivate them. And so what, what they did with Inbound was quite authentic in that they had a simple premise of marketers, you know, when left unchecked can ruin the internet with bad ads, pop unders, terrible spam. And Inbound is a model where originally Inbound was synonymous with content marketing. You know, it's essentially like create content and people will find it and come to you. And over time, what it has come to mean for us is how do you essentially give value to get value in exchange? How do you create a delightful experience for your customers so that they feel good about working with you and they want to come back to you? They want to send others your way. How could you create such an atmosphere around your company that things were inbound versus you consistently having to depend on cranking things outbound. And so that's kind of where we're at now. And it, it's important because even with our sales leaders internally, like when we're selling sales hub and service hub, we're trying to make sure that the world doesn't just think inbound is only marketing because that's like you said, that's what our conference was called, et cetera. So if you go back to that original kind of aspirational goal of like, how do you give value and get value? really transcended the software. One of the ways that HubSpot originally convinced me to join them was I loved the kind of authenticity that uh, our chief strategy officer, Brad Coffey, he was talking with me one night and he talked about the software. He said, you know, we, we had an amazing vision, an excellent culture, and a belief that we could really make the world a better place long before we had software that could back that up. And it's true because in the early days of HubSpot, the software was really rough, really rough. And I love the fact that they were honest about that and open to it. And I think that that kind of gets back to what you said, which is if you build the company on an ideal, then it really builds that kind of cultish, you know, feel about it. Dan Lyons wrote that book that tried to take a shot at HubSpot. And it's funny, my grandfather asked me about it. He said, you know, is that true? And I said, yeah, the stuff in the book is true. And he said, was that a, a bad thing? And I was like, no. I was like, when I read that stuff, I don't see it bad at all. I mean, at the end of the day, we call it drinking the orange Kool-Aid because, you know, I used to be that bad marketer. Like, you know, I was in the same agency space that you're in and and so many others that, that we work with are in. And like, I used to be a bad marketer. I mean, I would literally scrape lists. I would literally download tools that would – crank on LinkedIn and steal people's stuff. I had all sorts of techniques to get past the gatekeeper 
at a company so I could get a meeting with the C-level. I mean, there was, if, there was a, if there was a guerrilla sales and marketing tactic, I did it. And it kind of goes back to our conversation about games. When I built, uh, for the listeners, I don't know, I, I took a break and actually built a game company for a while and sold that game company. But when I was building the game, one of the things I loved was that people absolutely dropped their moral compass whenever they got in game mode. They would essentially, they would essentially, if they could find a way to basically outplay the game, they would. And they didn't feel any sort of remorse or bad or, or anything about it. And I think that when you get into sales and marketing, if you're not careful, you you get into that mode. It's it's not about making the world a better place. It's literally about how many leads can I get, and that is the scoreboard. And there's no moral compass there. Same thing with sales. How can I get past the gatekeeper and close them? So all of that to be said, when Darmesh and Halligan pushed out that concept and said, let's let's do some good out there. It was well before the millennial stuff. And I think that it stuck because I think a lot of us were doing really bad things. And man, even today, I still have people who don't believe that they could be better tomorrow than they are today. But it's that aspiration that I think really kind of binds us all together because you, me, whatever kind of path we're in, it does feel good to know that you are on the path of truth and justice, even if it is on something less sexy like sales and marketing. And I think that with Inbound, many, many years ago, they kind of stopped talking about the software. It's less about even HubSpot nowadays, although we're the we're the, the creators of it. And now it's just more about a lot of it. If you look at all the Inbound stuff, it's just a lot of it's about really interesting topics about how to be a better a better business person, a better a better person at growing. Anyways, that was a long answer, but that's that's why I think everybody's so jazzed up about it each year. I I think it was a great answer because it 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 really communicates this passion you guys have. Winston, Winston Churchill, one of the best um, leaders uh, in the world, uh, I think he's attributed with the quote, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And you guys are certainly focusing on giving to your community and helping the community uh, and with your content. You're, you know, There's so much that you guys produce on YouTube, content-wise, it of course has nothing to do with your product and has nothing to do in many ways with even marketing uh, and and you make you guys are making a life by what you uh, give um, Nicholas thank you for joining me on the program it's been great to get to know you over the past seven eight months I, I feel uh, you know cut from the same cloth we both love learning we both love innovation you love to build products you're now working on on building a very big product uh, that a lot of people use to grow their their business, and I hope uh, it is rewarding as I would think it would be to build infrastructure that is helping companies uh, grow and and be successful. It's been great getting to know you and the team, and and it's been great to see the companies that we have referred to you uh, to use your platform to empower their business. Them coming back and saying thank you. This is this is really fun. This is really cool. We're doing things that we we never even imagined and and learning. So thank you. Yeah. And I'll give I'll give uh, you know you a shout out. You represent really. I'm glad that the enterprise stuff we're doing is appealing to you because we are seeing that you know we want to pull off that magic trick. And I told you so that means we want to make it approachable. And when you first talked to me, I remember saying like I'm not sure right now we'll be able to provide a path for you guys, but I think soon we'll have customers who will need you. And I think that. Uh, yeah. I just want to say for you guys, what you do is pretty amazing because the the number of companies that are doing sophisticated things is starting to really grow on us. 
and and hopefully in time uh we'll get enough customers that basically will really be able to utilize you guys and really make the system really sing. I think it's going to be awesome. For sure. I mean, I've shared this with you. I'll share it with the audience. The whole reason for me and for demand gen to be uh, talking with HubSpot and, and getting to know HubSpot and having our team certified is for the same reasons way back, you know, when the company started, all we did was help people with Eloqua. Uh, and then one day I'm, I'm at a poker game with somebody's of mine and Bobby Carp leans over to me, and he's employee number seven or eight at Marketo, and he says, hey, after poker, I want to talk to you. Like, I'm, a, I'm working at this company, and we're building Marketo, and we're going after Eloqua. And I said, well, I certainly want to meet your founders and find out what you're doing. At that time, wasn't an enterprise-class product, wasn't even a corporate. You know, it was really designed for SMBs, and they went upstream. And had I not dug in and met the executives and learned about the roadmap and what John Miller was building and Phil... We wouldn't be serving the client base that we were that we are today. And my team thought, you know, Dave, there that's not really our market. We're in the enterprise and Marketo's not there yet. And I said, Well, one day they might be. And do we want to be late to helping that market or do we want to be uh, ready to serve that market? And I'm so grateful that we stayed close to them because sure enough, we've seen uh, that they decided to serve that market. And now we don't have to ever say to a client, who may have worked at one company and use one platform and go to another, oh, sorry, we can't help you because you're on a platform that we can't support. So DemandGen's always tried to have some level of being agnostic. Uh, and I would say it differently. We're always going to do what's right for the client. We're always going to help them with the tools and technology that they need for, for growth. We, like you, are in a very specific market. Uh, we're not helping small businesses and Janet's bike store and that type of stuff, but we, we love helping large companies go through digital transformation and, and use the tools. So thank you for you know embracing us as you guys have. I know that the organization like aren't aren't those guys like Marketo's partner of the year? How come how come we're working with <laughs> talking with them? You know, and I always have to explain why, but uh, I think everybody gets it. And we just want to help like you. We want to help the the world of marketers and sales and be successful. And we want to be more than ready uh, when the time comes to to help our customers. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, to everybody tuning in, thank you uh, once again. Uh, appreciate you always tuning in to Demand Gen Radio. If you haven't taken a moment, head on over to iTunes and and leave a review. That would be really cool. Uh, would appreciate the feedback. Love the feedback, whether it's uh, there or on LinkedIn. And that's going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. We'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.